Running a pet business is no walk in the park. I've been there, done that, and sure have the campfire stories to prove it. That's why Pet Boss Nation created Camp Pet Boss, where you can relax at a beautiful lake, refuel your leadership confidence with our in-person activities, and reignite your passion for the pet business of your dreams with your pet industry peers and trusted experts. Camp Pet Boss is a one-of-a-kind business retreat that mixes conference learning sessions and camp-like activities for pet professionals and their dogs. When was the last time that you got away from your business, unplugged from the chaos, and reconnected with your inner entrepreneurial spirit? And I hope that you heard me, that your furry best friend could be there too. Get ready for the most amazing and unique in-person adventure for pet business owners and their dogs, happening this summer in Lake Delton, Wisconsin, August 27th through the 30th of 2024. Tickets will sell out, and one building is already booked solid, So I want you to hit pause on this podcast and visit camppetboss.com right now to make sure that you have a room reserved. Your ticket price includes all food, lodging, and seminars. Need another reason to secure your ticket early? How about a massive discount of savings of $850 off your ticket? That's right. Early bird pricing is happening right now, but not for much longer. And I can't wait to hang out with you at camp this summer and share all those juicy pet boss stories around the campfire. You may not think that you have any transgender employees, so you don't have to think about the topic of gender identity and gender expression right now. However, that thinking is insensitive to your current and future team members. Could your own views, biases, and beliefs be negatively impacting your current and future team members right now, and you don't even know it? It's possible. What I do know for sure, though, is that as a business owner, employer, and manager of people. It's important that you understand LGBTQ rights and make it a priority to create an inclusive, safe, and equitable space for all your workers. Personal pronouns are the pronouns that a person identifies with and would like to be called when their proper name is not being used. Examples include she, her, hers, he, him, his, and they, them, theirs. For some queer, non-binary, transgender, and gender non-conforming people, the most commonly used pronouns of he and him and she and her may not fit, and if used incorrectly can cause anxiety, stress, and may even place them in physical danger. I know that you do not want that experience for anyone who works for you. Pet Boss Nation recently hosted a panel discussion on the topic of gender pronouns in the workplace, consisting of a transgender panelist, a queer panelist, an HR specialist, and a small business ally to the community. For this podcast episode, we've pulled out the best segments to share with you, which is why the audio might sound slightly different. Welcome to the Boss Your Business podcast, the show for the local pet business owner. If you have a physical building, carry inventory, have a team, or dream of having one someday, then this podcast is for you. You'll hear honest conversations from pet pros work in the streets of Main Street, where dog business is big business. I'm your show host, Candace Daniolo, the founder of Pet Boss Nation and a pet business coach. I've started, scaled, and sold three successful pet businesses, and now help mentor thousands of pet professionals to see success faster together. 
I'm sharing my favorite business tips with you mixed with the latest secrets of what's working now, especially in this challenging world. So if you're a pet supply store, grooming salon, dog daycare, boarding facility, pet sitter, dog trainer, or really anyone covered in fur, let's get started. I would love to introduce our panelists. Uh, we've got really wonderful people joining us. So let me introduce them. I'm honored and appreciative that they're here on the panel today. Lee Finch. Hi. Thanks for being here. Lee is a transgender man who was raised in the Deep South, and he worked at various animal care positions from training to kennels to animal shelters, and even at one of our other panelists' businesses. He currently lives in Sacramento, California, working at a municipal animal shelter. Thanks for being here. Lori, Lori Cox. Lori is the owner of Unleashed Dog Camp since 2012. Unleashed is known as a kennel-free camp for dogs in Renton, Washington. She built the business on the belief that their customers' dogs are family members, and we should view them as deserving of respect and loving care. She's a graduate of the Seattle School of Canine Studies with a focus on animal theory and positive training techniques. Lori is also a Pet Boss Club member and reached out in support for the resources that we're sharing at Pet Boss, and she offered to provide her queer perspective on today's discussion. Thanks for being here, Lori. Thanks for having me. Michaela Nielsen. Michaela is the president of Soren Group, an IT media and HR consulting firm based in Lincoln, Nebraska. Michaela will offer differing perspectives and challenges both that employers and employees have, as well as the current HR best practices in relation to gender and pronouns in the workplace. She is also the co-founder and board member of Jason's Heart, a nonprofit paid apprenticeship program that gives a second chance to people who have been released from incarceration, successfully completed a substance use treatment program, and veterans, all who desire a career in the field of technology. That's really cool, Michaela. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. And our last panelist here is Abigail Whithauer. Abigail is the founder and owner of Rover Chase in Pelham, Alabama, where she offers dog training, dog daycare, boarding, and grooming. She's been a professional dog trainer for nearly two decades and is one of the most certified dog trainers in southeastern U.S. That is impressive, which led her to start the nonprofit, the Rover Chase Foundation, where she spends most of her time training service dogs. Abby made a decision to proudly and publicly promote her business as a safe, supporting, and welcoming space for the transgender and non-binary community in Alabama. Thank you all so very much for being here, and I really look forward to the discussion that we're going to dive into right now. <laughs> so first up, I want to talk about why it is important to build an inclusive company culture. Michaela, I'm going to send this to you first. Let, let's start with the employee's perspective. Um, obviously, any employee who wants to come to work, anybody who comes to work wants to feel safe. They want to feel productive. They want to be included. They don't want to be secluded. And so just having that safe work environment is so important for people. It helps them be happier, you know, have less depression, less anxiety, less fear, when coming to work, it helps them enjoy their job more and they're motivated to do well for their employer. 
on the flip hand side for employers, the benefits obviously are just as great. Um, if you have a happy employee, you're going to have an employee doing well in their position. Their productivity is going to be much higher. Their loyalty is going to be much higher. They're, they're likely to stick around because of that loyalty. Um, turnover is so costly for employers. And so you want employees to be happy, to be productive, to stay. I, I read a statistic the other day that companies are 120% more likely to hit their financial goals when their employees feel safe and included and are able to be more productive in that work environment. So it's super important for, for everyone all around, employers and employees. Yes, yes. You know, we then learn the impact that we make as employers really in how we communicate and the actions that we take. So Lee, you had previously shared a story with us about your job at a, we won't, don't name the big box, but at a big box store where you had an, an uncomfortable experience. So please share that story with us and, and elaborate more on like why this is so important um, to have a safe works and inclusive workspace. Yeah. So um, I came out about over 10 years ago. And at the time I was working, I was a dog trainer somewhere. I was the only dog trainer on staff. And I had a coworker who had met me post-transition, had not known me prior, and very consistently and very intentionally misgendered me. It was, it was very much a choice on his part that he was fully aware of. And so I had corrected him that we had gone back and forth like this for probably two and a half months with just no change in his behavior. Um, and so at one point I got a little mad. I was firm. I was not mean. I did not call any names and there were currently no customers around. And I said, Hey, you need to stop. And after that, I got called into my manager's office and told that I needed to be nicer about it. And so that then was the point where I started looking for a different job. I asked my manager, had he ever said anything to him? And he didn't respond, which was a response. But that was the point where I started looking for a different job. That was all it took because the power differential there, I can say something a thousand times and it could not matter. But if my manager who does have power over the situation says something, then that's different and it works better if there's someone with a power differential stepping in. And then it said a lot to me about how I was valued in that specific store. So to me, it was no longer worth sticking around if it was clear that that was what I was going to continue to deal with. And the fact that if something like this happened in the future, that this would be the response. And right now it is not exactly hard to find new jobs. So it didn't work out well for them. They didn't have a trainer probably a month later. It did not take me long to find a new job. So that's kind of why I talk about this because from an employee standpoint, we don't want to have to deal with this at work, but the environment is fully created by the employer. So yes, you might not be able to control what your employees say or do, but the way that you support that employee is going to say a lot more than whatever the other coworker or the customer or whoever says. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm so sorry that you had that experience. 
we have to remember that as the employers, that we really need to tolerate any transphobic behavior no more than we wouldn't tolerate racist or sexist behaviors, right? Abby, can you please share with us why you chose to become a more socially proud and loud ally small business owner in your community? Sure. You know, I think it's the LGBT community has been very pivotal in my upbringing as a child and who I became as a person. I was very fortunate to be kind of co-raised by a whole group of, of wonderful people in that community. And it really shaped who I am as a person as they were patient and kind and gentle coming from deeply religious, deep Southern roots to educate me to have a different perspective about life than what I had been raised with in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, as my business grew and matured and really thought about who I wanted to be as a person and who I wanted my business to be as a community member, being an ally to the queer and trans community was just who I wanted to be. And we, we kind of made a very intentional decision several years ago to be much more forward with our social justice initiatives and with the type of employee we were trying to attract and the type of safe space we were trying to become for our employees. And um, it really shaped the culture of our business in a really meaningful way. It's been a great experience for us. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And Lori, why is um, having an inclusive company culture important to you? Well, it's like, Lee said, it's like people just want to show up and do their jobs. Like they don't have to deal with that at work. And the work work is like so much, you know, so much, so many hours of your life. Right. So, you know, for me, you know, I live in, in around Seattle, so it's pretty progressive and, you know, whatever people have going on, like you said, whether it's, you know, sexism, racism, homophobia, whatever, it's just so important, like for my employees to just show up to work, feel respected, feel safe, take great care of the dogs and have it be an environment where they just, can think about other things and just, you know, be really focused on, yeah, focus on their dogs and on each other and just feeling good. Right. Not, not stressing about coworker conflict or coworker manager conflict and really being comfortable being who they are. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So one of the biggest hurdles is really the unwillingness of business owners to make this shift in their thinking. And, you know, you know, myself as a heterosexual and Abby and I were talking about this with her and her business, like even facilitating this conversation can feel odd for us because we're not part of the community <laughs> and people watching, you know, are maybe not part of the community, but they want to learn more. And in my own journey too, I had an employee probably about in 2011 transition was employed, she pronouns, and then transitioned to they, them and non-binary. And it was... It, it's a very um, interesting process for myself, but then also navigating how to handle this with employees. And fortunately at the time, they their sister was my manager of my store. And so her and I would talk about how their family was navigating this as well. And it really did open my eyes to this. But it's one of the reasons we wanted to bring this discussion today, because if you don't have personal experience with this, you may not understand why it's so important. So Abby, I'd love for you to kind of share your story and your journey in this process for you. You have other owners in your business who also happen to be your parents, or you did at one point. Tell us about that journey. Sure. So when I opened my business, I opened it as my father is one of my business partners and primary investors. And we had 
very significantly different views about this subject and its importance. Um, and as I was really, again, thinking about who I wanted to be as a person and who I wanted my business to reflect within the community, that just became less and less able to be done as a unit of us being co-owners. And so I made the decision to transition as the single owner of my business and to make that happen for many reasons. But that was certainly one of the reasons is that I, I was uncomfortable having control over a business that did not meet these social goals and, and did not reflect who I felt like I needed to be in the community and who my business needed to be in the community. And so we did end up transitioning to me being the single owner of my business, partially because of some of these issues. And, and I, I have not regretted that decision. It was, it was challenging, right? It was very enmeshed. Um, it was family relationships and business relationships and money relationships. And it was very, very challenging, continues to be challenging in a lot of ways. Um, you know, my parents are quite divided in their opinions on this. My mother is a very strong ally, um, very supportive, has been my entire life. And my father's just older and white and Southern and traditional. And, and it, it has not been an easy transition. And so, you know, when we really kind of made this decision very intentionally, some of it was done for my own mental health. Some of it was done for our community health. Some of it was just done because I, I just couldn't sleep at night. And so those were, those were all kind of factors in doing this. And I think, you know, we, we led to a point where you don't always have to understand something to affirm something. And we kind of started there and grew from from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And so one of the the hurdles is just you know getting used to, to changing your language and changing your perspective and wanting to understand. And you've shared the story about your mother not seeing or, or not being able to verbalize what she's seeing and, and having conflict there. But at least she's willing to try, right? Tell everybody about that. Absolutely. You know, she is she is determined to be an ally. And I think that that is something particularly for her age bracket. Right. Um, she's a boomer and and she is determined and she is determined to work hard at it and to learn and ask questions. My staff is so lovely and kind and has taken time to sit with her and talk with her and educate her. And she is an eager learner. Her attitude about learning has made a huge difference in their ability to be good teachers because they have a good learner and right. and those things make a big difference and Lori, you've shared before that it's simple right how simple is it <laughs> yeah i mean you know there's all the laws and stuff right so i'm not going to deal with that but just on a personal level it's just what's the person's name and what's their pronouns and that's all you have to worry about in as far as interacting that's that's you don't have to understand anything you don't have to get anything what's their name what's their pronouns and use those mm -hmm. michaela I'd love for you to share your HR perspective here. I know you've got clients that you're working through right now and their hurdles of unwillingness to change. Yeah, I think I think it is, we are having some hard conversations right now. And these conversations are fairly new to a lot of people, especially where I'm from in, in central, you know, the center of the United States. It's more conservative, it's more traditional, and I can relate with Abigail where, you know, you have those traditional mindsets and it's hard to get out of. So a lot of the employers that I work with are really, haven't experienced a lot of this and haven't ha started having these conversations. They're just now starting to have these conversations 
And there's a lot of fear around having those conversations. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to react. And yes, it should be simple, but for them, it's not simple. They have their own biases in their mind. They have, you know, what are my clients going to think? What are my other employees going to think? And they may, they may be getting a lot of pressure from other employees who don't understand. They may, might be getting looks from clients and customers who come in and are like, okay, what's going on here? So they, there are some hard things to navigate in the HR world. Yes, it should be very simple, but we do need to take the time to kind of look at our biases, look at where we're not supporting or helping that community. And it's a work in progress. I know, you know, from the legal perspective in 2020, where there was the landmark ruling that made it made it illegal to discriminate against sexual identity. But that varies among state to state. I mean, Nebraska just rescinded a law that with the Fairness Act that was passed in February it didn't even make it to the books. And they recent this week they rescinded it. Um, I saw a news article this morning that um, it's back on the ballot for November. So state federally, yes, we've got these laws, but state to state it varies, and um, it's just a lot for employers and employees to navigate. I think it comes down to being willing to have those conversations. It comes down to trust and respect, and being willing and open to have those conversations. In a way that doesn't make somebody feel uncomfortable because not everybody, you know, in the transgender community wants to have these conversations. They, they may, might not want to be very public about it. So you have to walk that fine line too. Mm-hmm. It's very individualized. Yes. So let's get into some of the gender definitions and this could be a much longer conversation, but we're going to keep it a little high level here. And there's basically three genders we're going to talk about real quickly, just to give some definitions for those of us in the audience who are newer to this topic. All right. So in the different pronouns, we have cisgender. This is people who identify based on their gender that was assigned at birth. And it's this, that same gender that, I, that the person also identifies with. So I'm cisgender. I was born female, identified, and I identify as she, her, hers. So then there's transgender, and their gender identity can be male, female, or gender neutral, and is different, though, than what they were assigned at birth. And so they might use, well, they will use they, them, theirs, right? Or in Lee's case, you also go by he and him. And then there's non-binary, which is gender neutral. Lee, would you like to discuss this any further? Yeah. So when it comes to non-binary, gender neutral, third gender, what have you, it's a little bit of a catch-all term for a variety of different genders that people may or may not identify with. But for the most part, it just means neither of the existing categories are quite right. For me personally, I typically use he, him pronouns throughout most of my life, but everyone else in my family uses they, them pronouns very consistently and very intentionally. So a lot of the time when we're introducing each other as a group, it's just they, them across the board because that's easier for 
for other people. And I'm like, yeah, that works for me. It's, it's all good. Another thing a, a little bit to talk about is presentation might not entirely match up the way you expect. So you may have an employee come on and they tell you, hey, my pronouns are they, them. I'm non-binary. And they come in and they're wearing makeup and skirts and these things that you associate like very traditional feminine. And it can be a little confusing because you're like, wait, I thought I thought you aren't a woman. And that's still correct. The presentation and how they choose to express that, especially when it comes to people who don't identify as male or female, is going to look different. It's going to look different for different people. And it may not be exactly what you expected it to be. Um, so it might not be a hundred percent androgyny all the time, which is kind of what people think that that's going to look like. Um, but a lot of the times it looks more like a large variability in presentation. This gets to the difference between gender identity and gender expression. That was one of the first times I had heard that term was when we were talking earlier, whether they present feminine or masculine. And it's really what we're, what we are seeing, what they're kind of visually putting off in the world that would be identified in the norms of feminine and masculine. Right. And gender identity. Can you go deeper into that, Lee? Yeah. So when it comes to a person's presentation, this is where pronouns in particular can get a bit tricky because how people look doesn't give you the full story. Right. And it's why a lot of um, people and places have started doing things like if you're going to wear if they're going to wear name tags, they're also going to have pronouns on there to kind of reduce that assumption that, okay, I'm looking at this person, they have short buzz cut hair, and they're wearing cargo pants and a t-shirt, right? You may look at that person and your mind might say, hey, that is a man, but that might not be entirely true. So understanding and keeping that in mind that this presentation isn't entirely reliable as far as telling you what a person's gender or pronouns might be. Mm -hmm. Lori, do you have anything to add here? Yeah, I mean, I'm a prime example of that. Like I, I wear traditionally men's clothing. I, you know, I do work outside with dogs and I, you know, I have short hair. I, when I walk into a store, I often get called sir first, but I do use she, her pronouns. And so, yeah, I think, I think that is just important to keep in mind that the, your first visual instinct might be off. And so you just, it's just good to check with that. Yeah. It's not about the visual. It's about how that person, it's like the in, how that person feels on the inside. Right. <laughs> like not, yeah. right. Exactly. And so you've already said earlier today to really use their name and their pronouns that they want. And it can be as simple as that. But I'd love for you to talk now as we shift the conversation to how we handle misgendering in the workplace. So we know their pronoun, we know what they want to be called. And we, as the employer, in conversation with them, we mess up and we get it wrong. What should we do in those moments? Or the coworker, the employee that we have gets it wrong and we notice that, that there's been a mistake. How do you coach your employees through this and what do you suggest? Yeah, I mean, I have two things, like what to do and what not to do. I think what there is to do is just like apologize and move on, right? Like if I'm, if I'm talking about Candace, I'm like, hey, we... Can you help Candace? He's over there. And I'm like, oh, sorry, she's over there. Yes. Right. So just apologize. Just move on. What not to do is like make it about you. Like, 
Oh my God, Candace, I'm so sorry. I'm trying so hard. It's so hard for me to wrap my head around this. It's not the person's job to comfort you when you mess up, right? Like it's so awkward. Like I'll use myself as an example. When I walk into a store and someone's like, can I help you, sir? And I'm like, oh yeah, can you show me where the paint is? And they realize that I'm probably a woman and not a man. It's just so great when they just take me to the paint. <laughs> you know, instead of like, oh God, sorry, sorry. So I think for personally, you just apologize and move on and don't make it about you. And then when someone, for me, like with my employees, especially my managers, you know, it's just to be sensitive, like correcting somebody in public, right? For anything right. is, yeah. can be awkward and make them de defensive. And so a lot of times, like if somebody's talking about another employee and they misgender them, I'll just, should I use an example? Like, you know, again, with Candace, I go, just keep using you. If somebody says, you know, like, oh, Candace, he's, I'll be like, oh, Candace goes by she. And then I just move on, right? Like, I'll just quickly address it. And then if it's somebody who continually misgenders someone, especially if it's a manager, you know, I'll pull them aside and I'll be like, listen, you need to get it together. Like, <laughs> and just maybe give them tips for like practicing, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's have a conversation right now. Let's practice using their pronouns, just you and me. And just be really like firm, like you really need to figure this out because this is our policies of workplace. This is the culture we're trying to create. So that's great. And Abby, you've done a lot of work in this area. We have, you know, I think some of it is we've had several experiences over the years where we've had individuals that have transitioned as they were working for us. So that takes lots of practice for everybody, right? Habits are habits for a reason. And then we've, we've also had the opportunity to have several employees that work for us that are visually presenting differently than their pronouns for the most part. So we have really kind of made an intentional choice to use they, them pretty readily across the board when referring to all staff. It's not, it's not really necessarily like a, this is our policy. We only use they, them. It's, it's not like that. We discuss it regularly as a team and we just often will practice they, them because it's, it's just a really affirming pronoun regardless of the situation. And we, since we are in the deep South, we often have clients where we are unsure of preferred gender. We certainly will not ask unless it is brought up. And so they, them works quite well. We practice really readily on dogs. Um, we use a lot of <laughs> they, them pronouns for dogs. It's great practice. It's heavy practice. If we've hired a new employee, particularly an employee that visually does not present in a way that is natural for deep South brains to then use pronouns. We practice usually from the time that employee is interviewed and hired, we will spend a whole week before their first day talking and practicing, talking and practicing as a team. It's something that we do pretty intentionally. Hmm. Yeah. You have also said that you've got employees who are working, who are out working for you, but not out with their families in the communities. Can you talk about how you handle pronouns with customers? Sure. You know, I think that's something that has come up for us several times over the years that we've really kind of been working through this as a as a company culture. We ask kind of on our natural intake forms, we have some questions that help us with that. And then, you know, we, we trust employees to disclose however much they would like to disclose. But we have had certainly several employees that have disclosed that they would like to be gender affirmed in the workplace. But in public, that is not a thing that is cohesive with their family. And so they, them pronouns work pretty well for us on that because we are able to then affirm in all situations. I rarely will correct a customer 
unless I have an employee that has expressed to us very specifically that they are fully out and would like to be out and affirmed at all times. And then certainly we will gently correct a customer as we would in any other way about something. But otherwise, we're we're pretty respectful of the fact that in Alabama, and I think in many places, somebody might be out in one sector of their life and not out in other sectors. And we want to be safe and affirming for that. And we really take the employee's lead on what to do and how to handle that. Within our company, we're, we're pretty firm on coaching and consequences of misgendering a, a fellow employee. But to our, to our clients, it, things change. Mm-hmm. Based on what the employee would like. Because Lee, you know, you've shared in, re, earlier that sometimes these aren't all the battles you want to fight. Yeah, there's a lot of picking your battles. It's the kind of thing where like, if there is someone that all they do is twice a year, they bring their dog in for Christmas and New Year's. That is not a conversation that I'm going to have with that client because I do not see them enough for it to be worth having that conversation. Now that's for me as an employee, there's a little more on the line for me than with uh, someone, again, that power differential. And it's a little bit easier when it's not you that you're talking about. But if I am working day to day, I see this person, say, multiple times a week at Abby's job. I worked in her day training program. A lot of the clients I saw three times a week. And so those might be times when I would want to have that conversation or have them know just because I interact with them so regularly. And then volunteers, things like that can be also challenging. I recommend, especially if you work somewhere that does have volunteers, having a roster of some sort. That's what we do. We have a roster, everyone's pictures, names, pronoun, and sorted by department, just so that if people aren't sure, they can check without having to go through the awkwardness of asking someone because a lot of times asking makes people really nervous. So things like name tags can be helpful. Things like having a roster, if that is something that works for you, or if you have a lot of people that are internal, but not exactly employees, those kinds of things, having a place where they can look um, employee bios are can be cool. A lot of times people like knowing that kind of stuff. So there are like a little more subtle ways to kind of, introduce that without it having to be a direct face-to-face outwardly said specifically to a person. So another thing that I've done with clients before where again I don't want to have this conversation with them but if they'll say something to me about say a fellow co-worker and I'll say something like oh yeah she and I try to mirror that with the correct pronoun very shortly after what they've said so that it's not as direct, but people usually pick up on it. Especially if you give it just a little bit of emphasis. A little bit of emphasis, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Underline italicized exclamation point. And a lot of times that is enough because mm-hmm. generally people want to be respectful. You know, generally, yes. And you're going to have people who don't, but in general, people want to be nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and that really, I love the suggestions that you've shared there, Lee. And that really leads us to Michaela now. I really would love for you to expand upon 
employee handbooks or other policies. We talked about dress code policies before. Like, I'd love for you to expand upon ways that we can shift as employers to help prevent misgendering. Well, I think a lot of those things have kind of been mentioned throughout the conversation, especially with Abigail's experience and Lee's experience, too. You know, changing the language in the handbook, making sure that's inclusive or using terms like they there, just language in your processes and procedures, the the getting to know you things help a lot. Name tags and dress code can be one of those ways in in which you help with that. Um, I do have an example of a difficult conversation with the name tag thing, though. One of the clients that I was working with, the the employer was kind of caught off guard because the manager, who was very supportive of the community, kind of took it upon themselves to start changing some of the branding, changing the name, name tags, changing some of that, the way they do things internally. And I don't necessarily think it was a, a gender pronoun issue. I think that was more of a workplace behavior issue, but it really took the employer by surprise and off guard because this person hadn't talked to them about it. The employer felt like they didn't have the respect for them to sit down and talk about that as a leadership team, as a company. And so again, it goes back to that mutual respect and trust with one another to be able to have those conversations, to be able to move forward with a lot of these things. But changing the language in the handbooks, changing signs on restrooms, stuff like that, all of those things can be super helpful and and a, a start to to be able to create a more inclusive environment. Mm -hmm. And then when we go to the legalities for the LGBTQ community and trans community in the workplace, what do you recommend? I think there's a lot of things that you just don't think of that can pop up that can cause issues. And that's not just with this conversation. That's with any workplace issues, right? We've all experienced a lot of those things. But there are little things are going to crop up all the time that you're like, oh, didn't think about that. Maybe we should change this process or gosh, why didn't I think of that? And I think it goes back to what Lori said to just just apologize, do the best you can to correct the issue, let them know that you're correcting the issue and move on. And hopefully, you know, those issues will will be lessened and mitigated. And, and if people know that you're truly trying, they're probably not going to be too upset, um, depending on the issue. But I think, you know, sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination, there is that federal law that has changed and said, no, we can't discriminate against these things. People cannot be fired or refused a job promotion because of their sexual identity or um, sexual orientation. They have the right to be treated with respect and not harassed. They have the right to safe and adequate access to restrooms consistent with their identity and the right to choose to be out but not be outed. You know, we don't have the right to make this water cooler talk, just like we wouldn't have the right to, you know, make any sexual conversation or identity conversation, water cooler talk, that type of gossip shouldn't exist in our environments and it shouldn't exist for this community either. So these conversations are starting to happen. There's lots of things going on in legislation and people are all over the board, pro, con. There's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of transgender laws being introduced in legislation. A lot of that is surrounded by youth and education right now. But depending on the state, you know, a lot of it is happening with workplace issues too. But ultimately it comes down to 
you cannot discriminate against sexual identity or sexual orientation. And I think, you know, like, like Catherine's issues, there's, there's little things that you can do with HRIS systems where you use the preferred name and that can be, um, you know, triggered to go out on, you know, envelopes or mailings or whatever you use. And we're all just learning. We're all kind of trying to figure this out and and move forward together. So now We've shared some ideas already on the webinar about ideas for creating a trans-friendly community. And we've talked before about you could just legally check the boxes. Like, what do you need to do legally to check the boxes? Or go full swing to socially making a statement with your company. Ultimately, we have to find the balance to still respect the wants of the individual employees. And so I'd love to share any other ideas. I mean, we've got, I've got a list here from previous conversations that I'll go through quickly. We've already talked about changing the language in the employee handbooks. So Abby, you, what have you done at your business? We definitely rewrote uh, quite a lot of the language in our employee handbook to certainly use gender inclusive pronouns, but we also worked and I think are continuing to rework our dress code policy to be less gendered in what is and is not allowed as far as undergarments and visibility of undergarments and tightness of clothing and shortness of shorts and all of those things. We really, we dissected that and it took a long time. I I would say that for me personally, it was one of the harder pieces. It's the South, it's hot. The other thing that we did is we made some company across the company decisions that email signatures were just going to have pronouns. That's just a thing that we did or the absence of pronouns if that was the employee's choice. So all employees have pronouns and email signatures unless that employee chooses to not have them, which is acceptable. So we kind of made that decision. We have for offsite, what we decided to do with our name tags is not have pronouns on the name tags themselves. Since we have have had a history of employees of all different levels of outness as far as their different spheres of life. So we have these little buttons that have pronouns on them that they can add to their shirt when we're out at events or doing things that they can either choose to use or not use. So it's not a big deal. The the uniform is the same shirts with the name tags, but then they can add the button if they would like to. That's been really popular with our employees. I would say probably one of the most popular things that we've done is the little buttons. They really seem to like those. And it's <laughs> it's so choice-based that it's less. it appears to be less pressure for everyone. And then my employees that are cisgender seem to be really excited to wear the buttons to support their non-binary and trans coworkers. That seems to be a thing that that everybody really seems to enjoy. Um, so those are just some of the the things that we've done that have kind of made that. We also have gotten much more involved in our local pride organizations and events and festivals. That's just something we chose to do socially, and we've we've enjoyed it. It's lots of fun. We have a huge pride banner outside my building right now. It makes me very happy. <laughs> Wonderful. Now we've talked before too about it's great to celebrate like on social media, um, but really it's only celebrate people if the attention is desired and re- or respect privacy too. Michaela, you've touched on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not everybody wants to talk about it. it mm-hmm. I think it is very individualized and it's important to respect each person's opinion about that. That can be challenging on either side of that organization, whether you have individuals who want to celebrate it and want to talk about it and others who don't, like, how do you balance that out? That, that can be a challenge for employers, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's anything that can be overcome. 
And Lori, you've actually changed. You've become gender neutral with your clients' dogs too. Yeah. Yeah. When we have people that are picking up their dogs, instead of saying like, oh, Bella's mom is here. We're like, oh, Bella's human is here. Oh, Bella's family is here. Bella's ride is here. Like we just, we just do it across the board because yeah, our, we respect our clients and they're, and again, we're not going to, you know, we don't have as close of a relationship with them. So we don't always, we don't always know. So we just made it across the board. Yeah. So Lee, you've mentioned before too about, um, if a business wants to have a facilitated discussion with their employees on this topic, what are the best ways to go about that? So I generally like giving people general education on the topic, just because if you all kind of start at the same place, it makes it a little easier. There's lots of really good like trans 101 resources. PFLAG is generally a good go-to organization for resources about introductions to that topic, right? Because that's their whole thing is, hello, you're new to this? Welcome. We were new to this once too. And so I do like giving a base, like understanding of it first, like just a quick trans 101. And then being very open about, I think, demonstrating, like telling people that I too have struggled with this because to help keep people from being defensive, right? We want these conversations to be honest. You're more likely to get actual change if you are having honest conversations and being very open about it because it is new for a lot of people. But then when it comes down to having a trans employee or trans client not tolerating any misgendering from other employees. And then when having those discussions, you know, when you, if you're going to have a company training to include people from the community as part of that discussion, like as we are here having this panel right now. Yeah, if at all possible, you're going to get the best information from people who actually exist in that community. Yeah. Can I say just one quick thing about yeah. that too? Um, I think it's important to also just remember that like, if you have staff who are non-binary, queer, whatever, don't just assume that they're going to give you free consultation on this, right? Like applies to any group, right? You can talk about race, like don't pick your one non-white person. Just be aware that like people, there are paid consultants not everybody wants to like be the representative of their community, right? Like, oh, I'm the yeah. token gay person. Let me just be aware of that. Some people are like, I'm very willing to do that. I'm offering it. You know, I messaged Candace. I was very willing, but don't assume that everybody wants to do that and especially wants to do it for free because that isn't always the case. <laughs> well, and without sounding like we're just trying to check the box to for compliance issues, but a, a good neutral, neutral place to start is with every other training that we have. You know, we have that anti-discrimination, um, anti-race, anti-religion discrimination. Let's add this. It might not propel us forward a whole lot, but at least it's a starting place for some of those organizations who are really new to this and don't quite know how to handle it and maybe don't have, you know, access to some of the resources that we have. Um, at least it's something to put some attention on it. Right. And how often should a company be having that training? Is it once a year or do you recommend more than once a year to have non-discrimination, non-harassment? Well, most are required to have once a year. So I mm -hmm. would add it in with your annual training. And then if, if issues arise throughout the workplace in that time, 
add more. I think we don't do any anti-discrimination or harassment policies enough. And and like I said, too often they become just, okay, I got to check this off our box this year. Let's just get this done. Hurry up. So I, and I think if you, you are having issues, have, have them more often, but mm-hmm. I think it goes back to those conversations. Yeah. I will say, you know, for our company, we found it was very successful. It was kind of all of a sudden we I would say that we are a predominantly LGBTQ employee company at this point. The vast majority of our employees are within that community. We put it on our job posting and it's like, hey, this is who we are. This is, you know, this is part of our core values. So when we advertise a job on Indeed or whatever in the section that's about core values on our company, there it sits. And, you know, how much that affects who does and does not apply to our company. I have some opinions about what I think is happening. I don't have data on it, but it's a conversation we have in interviews. It's a conversation that we have in employee training and that suits our company culture. I think if you're looking for checking your boxes to make sure that you are safe and within the law, maybe that's not the right solution for you. But for our company, it was it was a welcome solution and it took a lot of pressure off and it helped our existing employees feel confident that new employees coming in, we're going to continue a safe and respectful work environment. Mm -hmm. If this is kind of rubbing you the wrong way or not quite sitting right with you at this point, it really is a starting point to really think about why those unwillingness feelings are coming up for you and to bring more awareness to the decisions that you're making and how they're impacting your team and employees. At the end of the day, I think we need to just remember that we want to treat people the way that we would want to be treated, right? Respect is not given, it is earned. And that really comes from what our employees are experiencing from the ownership at the top. Our employees are watching what we say, they're watching our words and our actions, and they will respect us as employers when we respect them, right? And when we lead our company from a place of integrity and trust. Thank you so much to our panelists who participated in this webinar. I also hope that you enjoyed listening to this recap. And for any resources mentioned, additional resources, and even if you'd like to get a hold of Michaela Nielsen, our HR specialist, all of those details will be in our show notes. Just visit petboss.com forward slash episode 27. Guys, I'm just so honored that you are tuning into this podcast. And did you know that we've already reached the top 3% of all podcasts across the globe? It's amazing. We're climbing the charts because of our awesome listeners like you. I know there's still pet professionals out there who need to hear all of our doggone good tips shared on this show. Can you help us find them? Now, how you do that is that when you click to follow the podcast, or the more you download different episodes, or if you choose to leave us a review, those things will help the podcast get pushed out into the world so that more people who need to hear this will find it. Thanks so much for your support. And until we talk next week, stay focused, stay motivated, and go boss your business.